Welcome to Study Buddy, meditation philosophy for the heart of your practice. This is a live online discussion of ancient yogic texts amongst meditation practitioners in the Shambhavananda Yoga tradition. My name is Acharya Satyam, resident teacher at Konalani Yoga Ashram in Hawaii, and I welcome you with love and respect. Namaste. Um, yes, I think you all heard that. Excellent. All right, here uh, behind me, Kirtan and Abaya. In front of me, all of you beautiful people. Um, thank you for being here. It's going to be good. We've got, it's our second, uh, what do you, is this class? It's not an episode, right? It's our third? It's our, oh yeah, it's right. We started this um this particular class because Babaji wants us to know more about the history of the deities we're chanting to, including the actual words that we're using to chant and to make a deeper connection, you know, while we do kirtan. And so that was the inspiration. Um, and Chaitanya uh, has sort of been amazing at just getting in there and doing the work and preparing uh, these introductions to, to the deities that we all know and love. Uh, but giving us a little broader scope of of how to relate to these deities that really are a part of our tradition very deeply, uh, you know, infinitely. Um, and so we see them in our temples, we chant their names, and tonight we'll learn a little bit more. Uh, the focal point for tonight is Parvati, so uh, the goddess, Shakti, the mother of the universe, etc., which we're going to learn all about. And so from here, I'm going to hand it over to Chaitanya. He'll do our introductory talk. We'll take that into our kirtan for the night and then meditate. And uh, then we'll see where that lands us. Thanks again for being here. Good to see everyone. And Chaitanya, I'm going to go ahead and spotlight you. Um, hope you can all hear me. Stay. Let me just share presentation. Can you see on your screen something that says Parvati, the Divine Mother? Okay, you can all see that. Wonderful. All right. Namaste, everyone. Um, <laughs> the conversation today is going to be about the divine mother, the Shakti aspect of our practices, our tradition. And this is a really vast, vast topic. Um, there's, a, there's a whole tradition, whole philosophy, whole cosmology and um, philosophy in this. And what I can hope to do is probably introduce you a little bit to some of that. And the practices, our sadhana includes some of this uh, as empowered by teacher Babaji. Before I go further, let me just introduce myself again. My name is Chaitanya. And you're getting all this broadcast and talk and conversations from the future, as Satyam had said. It's now Friday in India. <laughs> so it's a little preview. India, the monsoons, if I can look out of my window here, is 
raining down, floods everywhere, but there is bliss here. We'll try and reach for that as we go through the conversation today. <laughs> so um, let's begin. Parvati is a divine mother. Um, there we go. So as I said earlier, this is the Shakti tradition. And there is a whole um, philosophy, cosmology, just a whole practice, just like the Shaivite tradition, centered around Devi. And Parvati is the um, gentle, benevolent side of this Devi, this cosmic figure in the Shakti or the Shakta tradition as it's called. And in this tradition, the canonical text, the Purana as it's called, Purana is, the word Purana means ancient or historical. So the canonical text used in this tradition is the Devi Bhagavatam. And in that, the Devi declares right at the outset, within the first, I think, uh, 30 or 40 verses, there is only one and no difference between other divinities and I. And further on, within a few verses, again, the Devi um, declares in that text, I remain on cosmic dissolution, but not as male, female, or any other. Only creation conceives the differences, meaning male, female, energy, consciousness, all the dualities. They come about during creation. So this text cycles through the various um, cosmic creation episodes, so to speak. Hindu philosophy, cosmology talks about uh, a cyclical um, creation, destruction, creation, destruction epochs that occur. And the Devi Bhagavata Purana subscribes to that and says that the ultimate, the one that remains at the end and continues on through these epochs of creation destruction is the Devi. And here's a fairly common representation of the Devi in this picture here. And if we can zoom in, I don't know if I can, you'll see that it represents all the other gods and goddesses, including Brahma and Vishnu and Shiva, who are also part of this epochal cycle of creation and destruction. Only she remains in the Shakti tradition. Further on in the Bhagavata Purana, she addresses Vishnu and Brahma and Shiva had come to meet her by saying you, meaning Vishnu, you, Brahma and Shiva are my three devas born of my gunas. So she's in effect saying, I am the only one that remains. I am the one. And at creation time, there's a whole cosmology that talks about how creation happens. And uh, there's a movement of the ego. And after the ego comes the, the three gunas and so on and so forth. And she says, at that time, during creation, different constitutions of the three gunas or properties, the sattva, the rajas, and the tamas, constitute the three of you. And you are born of me. So the whole Devi Shakti tradition is, as I said, has its own cosmology, has its own philosophy, and has its own um, creation aspects as well. And she subsumes the 
trinity that are normally associated with um, the the top of the Hindu gods and goddess pantheon, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. And one more quote to round this off. She clarifies and says, not just you, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, but I, meaning the Devi, assume the names of Devas and exist as the various Shaktis, as the various energies in the cosmos. And thus, I provide energy and strength to them. To them, them here refers to the Devas, to the other gods and goddesses, where she is the activating dynamic aspects of these divinities. And she does this, the various Shaktis, as, you know, there are many, 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 the thousands, tens of thousands of Devis. Gauri Mahakali, Mahasaraswati, Raudri, these are all counterparts of the Devas that we know. Gauri Mahakali is the counterpart of Shiva. He's also known as Parvati. Mahasaraswati is the counterpart of Brahma. Raudri is the counterpart Shakti of Rudra. Mahalakshmi is the counterpart of Vishnu, and so on and so forth. Um, by the way, I think we can um, keep this informal. If there are any questions that pop up, feel free to unmute and just pitch in. I think that, that might be easiest as we go along. Okay, so in the Shakti tradition, I just wanted to round it off by saying she is the dynamic aspect, the life, movement, dynamism, energy. She's the cause. And everything that you see manifest and even unmanifest, because we can't see everything with our senses or perceive it, all of those, the cause of all of that is Devi. Shiva in this tradition is inactive. It's, it's potency, it's potential without Parvati, the Shakti. And this is commonly portrayed, it's an understanding in the Shakti tradition of Kali. The dynamic Kali is standing upright, moving with the different arms, doing her thing in the cosmos. And an inert Shiva at rest is lying horizontal on the ground. He is unable to act, move or be activated unless Kali or the Shakti comes and joins him in the play of the cosmos. One of the um, progenitors, let's say, the great Adi Shankaracharya is a Jagat Guru back in the day, composed a very famous poem called the Saundarya Lahari, the waves of bliss or beauty. And in it, he said, Shiva united with Shakti is enabled. Otherwise, is inert and unable even to pulsate. And as we know, pulsation is a very fundamental part of the cosmos in the Shiva tradition, in the Shaiva tradition that we have. So given this vast array of gods and goddesses, especially in the Shaktis, this one Devi has many incarnations, and these have been grouped in the Shakti tradition to suit the needs and the natures of the practitioners in this, in this tradition. All of these practices, they resolve in the end to realization of the one, this one Devi. And in it, because there are so many goddesses and manifestations and energies and practices, Parvati has emerged in this tradition as the more gentle, benevolent, and relatable aspect of the Devi compared with the other aspects. And, and they say you need initiation or guidance to work with the other energies and deities. 
he's depicted typically with a family. Shiva is her husband and she has two sons, Ganesha and Kartikeya. So this is one of the aspects that makes her very relatable to um, the followers of the Shakti tradition, especially among the lay followers, the householders, because she's portrayed as having a family also. Okay. Um, if there are no questions, we can move right along. So one of the questions that pops up is, why is Parvati seen as the benevolent one? Um, what makes her so likable or benevolent? And the answer to that is, in one, is a very charming story about um, the birth of Ganesha, her, her son. And I tried to capture that in pictures that you see up on the left over here. There are four pictures, one here on the top left and then the right and then bottom left and bottom right. Um, many of you are probably familiar with the story, but I'll briefly recount it. And this would illustrate why Parvati is so approachable, why she's so benevolent. Um, she had created Ganesha as a very charming and valiant boy to guard her chambers while she you know, does, takes her bath or needs some private time. And when Shiva, the husband comes home, he was denied entry by Ganesha, as you can see in the picture on the top right, who did not recognize who Shiva was. And Shiva was in no mood, I guess, to acknowledge who Ganesha was, even if he knew who Ganesha was. And that ensured a battle between Ganesha, this charming little boy guarding his mother's chambers, and Shiva, who wanted to gain entry to his own house. And in the course of the battle, Shiva cut off Ganesha's head and thereby gained entry over the lifeless body of Ganesha. Shocking, right? Yeah. <laughs> and when Parvati comes out and realizes what happens, she, in this top, in this bottom left picture, unleashes her energy in destruction at this turn of events. She is so angered, so consumed by this um, loss, by this turn of events that the different shaktis, the different energies that we talked about earlier, the Devi, they incarnate through her, the Maharodri, Mahaghori, Mahakali, Smashan Kali, all of them. And they uh, set about destroying the universe as we know it. And she was only mollified, propitiated, and um, came back to her normal self. But Shiva agreed to do two things. One, and that's the two blessings that we talk about here. One, he brings Ganesha back to life by placing an elephant's head on the boy and breathing life into him. And the second thing that he agreed to do was to make him the chief of his followers, the hordes that follow Shiva. They're called the Ganas. And the Shiva Gana are typically the ones that tend to distract us in our sadhana as we try to achieve union with Shiva. It's a very symbolic story of Parvati and Shiva and Ganesha and how he gets the elephant head. Note that he's called the Ganapati. It's another name for Ganesha. He is not called Gajapati. Gaja is elephant. He is not called the king of the elephants, Gajapati, even though he has an elephant head. He's called the Ganapati. And there is a significance to that. 
And growing up, the stories I've heard and the lessons I've learned, um, the symbolism is for uh, us to realize that as we are trying to do our sadhana and trying to progress and evolve, uh, our normal self, the small self, is constantly pulled and distracted by the ganas. We would not recognize the universal self or Shiva, even if it came knocking on our heads. You know, who are you? We wouldn't know. That's just our small self reacting to this cosmic self. We just wouldn't even recognize it, which is symbolized by what happens with Ganesha. So our small self has to be transformed which we perceive as the energy or Shakti, rearranging the many familiar and known aspects of our life as we evolve. This is Shakti, Parvati Devi, transforming our perceptions of our lives, the events, all the things that we know and, are, and, and love, they get transformed. That is the destructive aspect, so to speak, that manifests as we encounter or come into contact with the universal shelf as we evolve. The benevolent act that Parvati induces here is that Shiva, who symbolizes the Guru actually in the story, moves our self, our small self, towards the bigger self, the universal self with a capital S. And that is symbolized by the elephant head. Our small head, our small ego, is replaced by the bigger, more universal elephant head. And the elephant in Indian um, stories and in the Indian context is uh, considered a very wise animal beyond that of humans actually. So that's the symbolism there of the elephant head among other symbols. So this is one of the blessings conferred on Parvati that she induces Shiva, the guru, to help us along to destroy our ego, the small ego, and help us recognize the larger self as the world changes around us during our practices. And the other um, blessing or gift that Parvati Devi extracted from Shiva is that as we go along in our sadhana, we find that we're constantly distracted by things that happen around us, just, just life, the world, the family, the things, the events around us, our karma, our samskaras, as they're called. And all of these are now governed by one divinity, Ganesha. So our sadhana becomes easier because we pray to Ganesha at the beginning of our practice. Thus, by appeasing Ganesha, we appease all the hordes, or try to appease all the hordes that can constantly distract us as we engage in our practice. I hope that kind of makes sense. And one other last aspect is, you know, Shakti, the universal mother, the universal goddess, could have replaced Ganesha's head all by herself, brought Ganesha back to life and declared him the lord of the Ganas all by, her, by herself. She is uniquely capable and powerful enough to do it. So why is it that she didn't do it? That's because as she said in the beginning, one of the quotes I had had, she said she actually activates and acts as the energy for the other divinities, for Shiva, our guru, to perform these actions 
for our benefit as we evolve, right? I hope I'm doing okay on the time. So it might be useful to do a quick check and move along, I think we're okay. Um, anyway, I wanted to also do a quick comparison of the Shaiva and the Shakti traditions. In the last session that uh, we were chatting, we had talked about the Shaivite tradition and Shiva incarnating as Nataraja, the Lord of the dance, the cosmic dance, Tandavam, right? We see in the figure on the left in the bronze statue, you've probably seen in the ashrams and on your altar as well, Shiva with the Tandava pose, blessing us and pointing down to his left raised foot that uh, invites you to seek his blessings while he whirls around in the cosmic dance and you can see his dreadlocks spread out, touching the fire, ring of fire in the cosmic play, right? So the interpretation here of this image is Shiva is the dynamic aspect of the universe. And he can only do that because he's acting in concert or in unison with Shakti. She enables Shiva in this cosmic play. That's the symbolism here. There is a lot of dynamism. There's a lot of movement. And yet, when you look at the face of Shiva in this, as I had said the last time, it almost seems tranquil as though the Lord Shiva is beyond all of this play and is just a witness, the universal witness. So even in the, uh, the Shaivite tradition, there is a universal self or a witness that transcends this play. And it's a very similar thing in the Shakti tradition as well. The many Shaktis are resolved to the one Devi, the one that transcends all of these manifestations. Very, very similar, except that they come from a fundamental dualism, the focus on Shakti, the female aspect or the male aspect of Shiva. Recognizing this, that there are different traditions, they are considered equal in every sense, at least in the Hindu traditions that I'm aware of and that I knew and know growing up, and even in our ashrams and Babaji. And this understanding that they're equal in every sense is exemplified by this picture here of what's called Ardhanarishvara. Ardha is ha, Nara is female, Ishvara is male. And you can see that the left half of the picture is Shiva with the bull. And the right half is Parvati with the lion, the goddess Durga. It's a very common picture that you'll find in India everywhere. It is not used for practices though, right? As in puja or meditation or such things. It is not found on altars and things like that. It is just a symbol that says they are equal. They are one and the same. Reality is an integral integration of these two dualities, of the Shiva and the Shakti. In fact, both these traditions say you transcend these dualities. It's not just an integration, but a, a transcendence of the male and the female, the active and the passive, energy and consciousness, etc. all of these things. I wanted to also end on a, another benevolent act of Parvati, Parvati Devi, that we enjoy and um, encounter in our daily practice. 
And this is the gift of the Guru Gita. If you look at the um, initial few verses of the Guru Gita, uh, it, it's a fun illustration, at least for me, of Parvati's benevolence, where Shiva responds to Parvati's question. And Shiva states that Parvati's question and the answer that he is providing as the Guru Gita is something that benefits the whole world. It's not just an answer to Parvati. And again, you can see that Parvati is quote-unquote actuating Shiva. The Devi, the Shakti, is actuating an inert Shiva to provide benefits for the cosmos by providing the Guru Gita. So there are many aspects in the, in the Devi um, pantheon. There's Durga, there's Kali, Saraswati, Gauri, Raudri, and so many more, right? And this vast array may be quite bewildering at times um, for us in our practices. The three verses I found in the Guru Gita that kind of address this array I've, and basically ask us to do two things. At such times, it says you bow down to the Guru and essentially ask for his help or her help in navigating this to find the one that suits our needs and our practice. It also says that you recite the Guru Gita to maintain the momentum and transcend these aspects to find the universal self that we're all seeking. I put it up here in the deck and you are probably familiar with these verses. The first one says, Vande Guru Patat Bandvam, Vang Manaschitta Gocharam, Shweta Rakta Prabhabhinnam, Shivashakyatmikam Param. I bow to the Guru's two feet that are accessible to my speech, mind, and consciousness, my small self. These two feet radiate the white and red lusters of the highest states of Shakti and Shiva. The Guru integrates both and provides a pathway to them. One of the verses in the Guru Gita. The other was um, talk about the Shaiva and Shakta traditions and other Agamas and scriptures. They remain incomprehensible for untrained minds, minds that are not um, receptive, so to speak, and are constantly chasing illusions and distracted by the Ganas, Shiva's Ganas and Shiva's horns. Shaiva Shakta Gamadini Hanyani Vividhanicha Apabhramshakaraniha Jivanam Branta Chetasam. Shaiva Shakta Agamas, all of these serve as distractions more than pathways for our self realization without the Guru. And the last one Japet Shachakshascha Shaurascha Ganapatyascha Vaishnavaha Shaivascha Siddhidam Devi Satyam Satyam Nasamshayaha. Even in the traditions of Shakti, Surya, Ganapati, Vishnu, and all these other divinities, and Shiva in the Shaiva tradition also, the recitation of the Guru Gita confers success truly, truly without doubt. So, the net takeaway for me is there are these traditions, but they're all mediated for me by the teacher the Guru, we follow the path pointed to by Babaji. The deities, as he said, represent energies to help guide us in our practices. So as we go through the session today, we reach for that wish to grow, find that reason why we're sitting here today, all of us, 
engaging in kirtan, listening to the divinities, listening to these conversations, and doing the meditation. And then deeply surrender to the shakti, the play of the shakti that manifests as we act on our wish to grow and do our sadhana, which is aimed towards achieving union with the universal self. There was a lot of material in covering this, and I had to rush through a little bit. I do apologize for that, but I wanted to take a little extra time and give an overview in the Shakti tradition as well, and how it relates to what we've done in the past two sessions on Shiva, the Shaiva tradition, and Ganesha also, where we started. So with that, I think we can go on to the next part of this program, unless there are questions. Does anybody have any um, questions or comments? Chaitanya, this is Bob in Hawaii. I uh, Bob. was just wondering, uh, by the way, I just love to hear your pronunciation of the Guru Gita it is so beautiful. But my question has to do with the ganas. Um, in our tradition, um, I'm scrambling to try to think of what words we use in our tradition for the ganas. Do you have any idea about that? Well, the ganas in the texts that I've read, in the Shiva Purana, for example, like the Bhagavata Purana, Devi Bhagavata Purana, Devi Purana, there's a Shiva Purana as well. And there's the Markandeya Purana, which is supposed to contain the Guru Gita. In these texts, the Ganas uh, represent all the followers and the acolytes and the people associated with Shiva. And they include the Rishis, the sages, the seers. They also include people who don't conform to traditional norms in society. Shiva is supposed to be the inhabitor of cremation grounds. So the people who hunt the cremation grounds searching for um, spiritual emancipation, union with the self, aren't necessarily part of the traditional walks of life. All such manifestations, including the residents of the cremation grounds, the yogis, the sages, the divinities, all of them are part of the ganas of Shiva. And the idea here, the, um, um, the things that I've imbibed, let's say, growing up in these traditions and listening to the practices and the priests and the scholars here in India is all of them represent distractions for us. We keep getting pulled by what this sage said or that Purana said or this leader had said or that um, um, manifestation informed us during our practice. All of these may be distractions and we are searching for our way past them. The wish to grow, as Rudy had said, and I had said in the past, is the one mantra for me that allows me to focus and navigate past these distractions. They're all part of Shiva. They're all part of creation. They're all part of Devi, the manifestation, the cosmos. What do I want? Where am I headed? And that is past all of these in searching for my universal self. That's the interpretation of the ganas that, that I'm uh, aware of. I hope that helps.
Any others? Well, Chaitanya, okay. yeah. thank, thank you so much for that presentation. I feel like we're going to be going into this chant in a completely, you know, new light. I feel like all that depth can easily trans transform into into devotion right now as we chant. So thank you. Um, hopefully everybody can see the the screen I'm speaking on right now, and I'm in this little box, and I'm about to disappear in a second. Up here, right there, is the chant we're going to be doing tonight. So that'll just stay on the screen for you. Down in that bottom corner, we got the musicians in a very, very little box, as requested. And um, so we will we will start, and um, and then when this ends, we'll go right into meditation. Everybody can see the words, okay? I'm assuming. Great, and. Um, I'm going to switch it over. We'll get the music going and I'll make sure that's all going well. And then I'll go back to it and start drumming. So one sec.
All right, so feel free to shift around in your seat and get ready for last portion of class. I'm assuming everyone can hear me right now. Thanks. Sacha, can I yeah. ask you a quick question? Please. I, I wonder um, uh, what the translation of the word Sundari is. I wonder if Chaitanya knows that, that word. Yeah, Sundari is somebody who is beautiful. Sundar is a root word, which is beautiful. Sundari is she who is beautiful. Sundara is he, the male, who is beautiful. Very pleasant to see. Thanks, Anandi. That was helpful. Next time, let's do that before we chant. <laughs> Great, good move there. Well, beauty is a is a pretty special thing to be able to focus on, you know, as we meditate. I think sometimes beauty can be almost like a passive concept, like something is just beautiful, it's just born that way, or it just is that way. But I think for the sake of a deity and for the sake of our practice, beauty is something that we should be able to feel, you know, and relate to in our hearts. It should actually open our heart. You know, just take a moment and let your eyes close and, and consider, you know, encountering a deity who is beautiful. What would that be like? What would that feel like? It wouldn't be the, the kind of attraction that we're used to on a horizontal plane. It would be something very different. It would be something that would probably make you feel beautiful. And just letting yourself sort of soak in that sort of intuitive visualization. The goddess, as Chaitanya said, is the actuating principle and when we're listening to stories all this seems to just happen out here you know parvati actuates shiva etc but that's all happening inside our heart that's all happening in us and so meditation on the goddess sort of actuates us As Babaji said in Satsang Monday, you know, just soak it in, just let it happen. And so as you breathe in through the nose and draw that awareness down from the head, 
down past the throat with a swallow, down towards the heart. You know, instead of being the actuator where you're making things happen, try to let yourself be worked upon to be opened up. The benevolence of the goddess is available. We have to do the work of receiving it. As you breathe in, you know, breathe in nectar. Breathe in this the gift. Receive it.
let yourself explore how deeply you can relax. Imagine being surrounded by this divine mother. You feel completely supported. There's nothing you have to do. But you don't let this moment go by. You absorb it. You become it. Let yourself feel this support of the goddess, not just in one breath, you know, but in the continuity of your breathing. Feel it all the way through the inhale, all the way through the transition, all the way through the exhale. 
The breath itself is the pulsation of Shakti of the goddess. So try to feel that support in continuity. Namaste, everyone. I feel so little in this box, like a mini me. Um, I did want to say something other than thank you so much, Chaitanya, and I'm really looking forward to your next talk. Um, I wanted to say that we've actually uh, going to have a revolving schedule that's going to make sense so you'll know when these classes are being offered. Um, the First two Thursdays of every month are going to be the Vigyana Bhairava class. First class is going to be presentation. Second class is going to be reflections on that presentation with a little bit more meditation, a little bit more discussion. Um, the third Thursday of every month is going to be this class, isn't it? Or is it yoga? <laughs> oh, um, it's it's this class. The third Thursday of every month is going to be this class, Kirtan. And then the fourth is going to be our yoga in the natural state class. And then when there's a fifth Thursday, it'll be the teaching moments presentation, which will be on a, you know, an alternative topic. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'll post that in song of friends, but I just want to let you know, it's going to be a little easier to keep up with what class is coming up on Thursdays. I'm very happy to say that we've, we've got that boiled down. Uh, thank you all for being here. Hope to see you all next week for the Vigyana Bhairava. Um, a little preview of that class is going to be talking about how generating a, a deeper foundation in your practice can allow you uh, to have more vertical uh, growth. So I'm pretty excited about that. Thanks again, Chaitanya. Namaste. Thanks for being here, everyone. See you soon.